Showtime Sports presents Showtime Boxing with Eric Raskin and Kieran Mulvaney. Hello and welcome to another edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. Along with my co-host Eric Raskin, I am Kieran Mulvaney. You know what? I was thinking about this. You know what I love, Eric? What's that? It's, it's, it's discovering like totally weird and unexpected coincidences, often of a date nature. Say, for example, discovering unexpectedly that a significant historical event coincides with a major anniversary or moment in one's life. Um, you know, I don't know if you ever think about anything like this. It gets me to wondering whether you had ever, by any chance, recently stumbled across such an interesting <laughs> historical coincidence, he asks randomly. Wow, that is the craziest thing that you should yeah. bring that up. Yeah, speaking of coincidences, that's a coincidence right there that you should ask such a Bizarre, question right? that so perfectly sets me up to discuss something that's that's been on my mind. How crazy. So, uh, yeah, what I learned the other day, uh, and, and I posted this on uh, Twitter and Facebook, uh, such was my excitement over the discovery, is that my date of birth, July 30th, 1975, was the very day on which Jimmy Hoffa got himself disappeared. Uh, uh -huh. So, as I noted on those social media platforms, I feel confident removing my mom uh, and Probably my dad, too, from suspicion. Uh, they no, no longer uh, can really be considered suspects in the case of uh, the disappearance of, of Jimmy Hoffa. And of course, this came across my radar because I just watched The Irishman uh, in, in three sittings because three and a half hour uh, movies don't mix well yeah. with my narcolepsy. Um, I have some quick non-spoilery thoughts. Have you seen it, Kieran? No, no, for a similar reason. It's basically either I sit down and watch that or back-to-back-to-back-to-back -to -back -to -back -to -back episodes of Ray Donovan, really. And ah. I'd probably rather pick the back-to-back-to-back-to-back episodes. It just feels like, yes, a series of one-hour chunks seems a lot more digestible than one big three-and-three-quarter-hour movie or whatever the heck it is. Yeah, that, that's smart. Now, Ray Donovan, is that on uh, Showtime, perhaps? What? <laughs> Funnily <laughs> enough, it is. Hmm, okay. How about that? Well, yeah. All right. Yeah. Also, Glad you mentioned uh, it. As, as is uh, Shameless, actually, which is also... <laughs> On Sundays. Which is also something you are. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, so my quick, uh, again, non-spoilery thoughts. I thought it was okay, The Irishman. It was kind of Scorsese going through the motions with another mob yeah. movie. Um, some parts worked, some didn't. It certainly isn't on par with any of his best movies. Um, the big problem that I had with it is that the de-aging effects are a Lots huge distraction. Yeah. 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 The technology isn't there yet to make 70 something Robert De Niro really look like he's in his thirties. Uh, um, so, you know, all in all the movie's okay, but I wouldn't call it a must watch and, uh, and uh, apologies if I've spoiled for anyone that Jimmy Hoffa gets disappeared. <laughs> exactly. But I did see, did I not see, was it also, I assume it was a relative of yours pull you up for saying that your mom could not have been um, responsible and said, how dare you underestimate her like that? <laughs> yeah, it was a friend. I believe uh, one of my high school friends uh, who, who said that. Uh, but that, uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I really should not assume what nine months pregnant my mom was <laughs> capable of. Um, but Or yeah. basically, as soon as she got rid of you. <laughs> oh, it could have been after. Right? Um, I've been in the room for births. It, well, I was in the room for that one, but I don't remember Obviously. it. But I've been in the room for other ones. They're us you're usually not quite up and about <laughs> no, like that. Like, let me kill a teamster. Yeah, probably <laughs> wasn't top of mind for my mom. I'm clearing her on this one. <laughs> okay. Well, we've discussed big-time historical mysteries and big-time movies by big-time directors. And, well, we've had some big-time guests on Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney over the course of our first year. But... None more big time than this week's guest. Uh, a little later on the show, we're, we're really excited about this. We're, we will be talking to one of the all-time great heavyweights. Actually, one of the all-time great action fighters at any way. Um, a Hall of Famer. The real deal, Evander Holyfield. Uh, we're really looking forward to getting uh, Evander's thoughts on all of the current heavyweights, how this era compares to his, uh, and some other uh, stuff as well. Uh, also on this week's podcast, we will cover all the latest news in the sport. We will look ahead to... Tony Harrison against Jamel Charlo, too. And maybe, possibly, Daniel Jacobs against Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. Who knows? Who knows? Um, but first, let's talk about the weekend that was. Beginning with Terrence Bud Crawford, who, every time out, is fighting, in a sense, not just against the guy he's in the ring with, but also Vasily Lomachenko. But on Saturday night, actually had to put Vasily Lomachenko to one side because he found himself in a real fight against a real opponent uh, who a lot of 
folks, I think perhaps including us last week, somewhat expected him to walk through. Yeah, uh, in, indeed. It was uh, Crawford against Aegis Mean Machine Kavalowskis. And Crawford needed to turn pretty darn mean himself to beat this guy. Uh, Kavalowskis landed his first good right hand in round two, then hurt Crawford and should have been credited with a knockdown in round three. And Crawford decided to stand and fight with him after that, which was risky, uh, but it worked out. Bud won the next several rounds and finally switched to an orthodox stance in the seventh and dropped Kavalowskis, then floored him twice more in the ninth, and referee Ricky Gonzalez waved it off 44 seconds into the round without a count after the last knockdown, helping me barely win my under eight and a half rounds bet. Uh, ah. Kieran, <laughs> the important things, always slipping in the important exactly. details. Uh, Kieran, how concerned were you at any point that Crawford might actually lose this fight? How impressed were you with the adjustments he made? And how entertained were you watching it go down? So sort of in order, uh, the third round was a little bit of a cause for concern. Um, not, not just because Kavalaskis was doing a good job there of timing him and, and landing that sneaky good right hand, but, but it also felt, I thought in the, the, the early stages, certainly that second and third round, as if Crawford was just a bit sloppy. Hmm. Um, you know, that maybe, you know, and... and uh, Andre and Tim were kind of freaking out on the call as well about about what some of the things that he was doing. He was doing just, you know, just pulling straight back and looping his punches and just kind of standing there a bit flat footed. And it almost felt as if maybe he was taking the fight. Well, maybe he'd listened to our prediction last week and thought, <laughs> oh, this guy's this guy's a piece of cake. I don't have to worry about that. And, it, and it's when a fighter sort of does that a little bit, takes their eye off the ball, no matter how good they are. So they can they can certainly get upset. And I wondered if that might be happening a little bit. But, you know, it's interesting. Bud often is a bit of a slow starter, of course. Right. And and it just sometimes it just feels like he needs to get a smack in the mouth to just get irritated with his opponent and get in the groove a little bit. And and even though Cavalaskis was still having some good moments in the fourth round, there was it was there was a very different Bud Crawford, I thought, came out for that fourth round. And it looked like he had the eye of the tiger, like he was pissed. Um, I suspect he probably in his heart of hearts knew that that was really a knockdown. Even though he said, you know, he wasn't hurt, and I'm sure he right. did, but he, but he know he knew what was a, whether it was a knockdown or not a push. I think, and I think, and again, Tim and Andre called this and sort of sort of suggested he was probably a bit embarrassed as much as anything. And and it looked to me that after that, he had, you know, he's making technical adjustments. You know, he was still standing and trading, as you said, but his footwork went up a notch. He was sort of sliding in and out more. He was bouncing on his toes more. He wasn't as flat-footed. He was, he was moving in and out slightly at angles rather than being, you know, straightforward and, and all of that. But it was also that suddenly he was up for it. He has that. When he is really engaged, Bud Crawford, there's this look comes on his face, and and you know that he is really in the fight and he really uh, is looking to do some damage and and the thing that i really like about bud you know you sort of mentioned that he was having to turn mean to, to to fight the mean machine but yeah he's technically very good when he wants to be crawford he can box he can move he can do south Porter orthodox and back again um he can he can fight at length and all of that but one of the things that i I think, you know, sometimes it's underestimated about him is he's a mean bastard, Terrence yeah. Crawford. I mean, he really is. He really likes to fight and he likes to punish and hurt his opponents. Um, and, and he just gets this look on his face. And I felt like that was that was the goal. Like, And so after that point, you know, even when Kavalowskis still had his moments, you know, like I said, he caught him a few times in the fourth. I think even at the beginning of the seventh, he landed a couple of sneaky, nice uh, punches. It just felt to me that once Crawford looked like he was dialed in, that there was only going to be one winner, even if Kavalowskis was having his moments. And I felt that there was a difference between Crawford being hit in the first three rounds and being hit in the next six, because the first three rounds, it was because Kavalowskis was fighting a good game and Crawford hadn't got untracked and... Um, maybe he was taking him a bit lightly and was being a bit sloppy. But after that, it was like he he was feeling, yeah, I've taken your shots. I don't care now. We're going to fight. Right. And I don't care if you're going to hit me. And that, 
you know, he's like, okay, it's not going to look as pretty. I'm going to get hit more often. I don't care. We're going to have a fight. Screw it. Um, and so when that does happen, you might get hit a bit more often. But it, it looked to me as if he made a determination that that was just going to be something that he was going to have to deal with and, and that he, he was on it. And, and yes, I was impressed. I, I, I love watching Bert Crawford. I, I absolutely do. I, I love watching him figure opponents out. I love that moment where you realize, oh, he's got it. He's in the groove. He knows exactly what to do. He knows exactly what kind of punches. You could see him more relaxed. Um, uh, and so, yeah, I, when you see him get that bit between his teeth, when you see him get that mean look on his face, um, when you see him take real pleasure in hurting the guy and kind of snarl at him as he goes back to his corner, I love that. So I did, I enjoyed it. I liked to see him make those adaptations and I, and I did enjoy the fight. Um, but so even though it was, it was Kavalaskis' first defeat, I, I think it's fair enough to say, certainly he performed a lot better than, than perhaps we had anticipated. And I think probably many had anticipated. And so you, I think you have to figure his stock goes up. Um, how impressed were you with what you saw out of uh, the mean machine? Uh, and actually, while we're talking about stocks, what about Crawford's? You know, because he had to struggle, labor a bit at first, but then he came back and was very impressive. Um, how about his stock? How, do, how does each guy's stock kind of go up or down after this? So first, Kavalowskis, uh, I have to eat a little crow on my dismissiveness last week. Um, you know, he still had no business being a mandatory challenger. He had done sure. nothing to earn a high ranking, but... He can fight. Maybe the Ray Robinson draw was just an off night. Um, mm. He had a plan for Crawford. He wasn't afraid. He was in there looking to land the right hand on the southpaw, and he did just that to good effect a few times. Um, mean Machine was not a proven contender coming into this, but now he is. I think he's a legit yeah. fringe contender at 147 pounds. As for Crawford's stock, boy, th this is interesting. I think if we're talking about pound for pound, it either didn't move or it went down a little tiny bit. Um, I'll be curious when this week's ESPN pound for pound rankings come out to see if the people who had him at number one, which I looked it up, was Andre Ward, Joe Tessitore, and Nigel Collins. I'll be curious to see if they still do. And I'm not saying they can't hmm. or shouldn't. Um, he did win the fight by knockout after all. Uh, if you still think he's number one, that's totally reasonable. But if your reason for putting him above Lomachenko was that you were concerned by how Loma struggled at times recently against Luke Campbell and Jorge Linares. Well, Crawford just struggled at times against a more lightly regarded opponent than right. those guys. So I think pound for pound, his stock moves either tiny bit down or not at all. I can't really imagine anyone who had him at number two, elevating him to number one off mm. this fight. His stock with fight fans should go up though, because he made a fun fight um, because his stubbornness, uh, which is really emerging as a key Bud Crawford trait in yeah. and out of the ring, yeah. you know, he, he digs his heels in and, and, and does things his way, whether it's sometimes not wanting to give a very good answer to a question in an interview, um, or it's staying in the Southpaw stance for a while, even if it's not working so well, or it's standing and trading because he believes he'll get the better of that, even if it gives the other guy his only chance yeah. to win, uh, his stubbornness made this a much better fight than it needed to be. Um, he's a great boxer, but he's also a warrior and a tremendous finisher. And this was good exposure in the post-Heisman time slot on regular ESPN, right. you know, not ESPN Plus or pay-per-view. So overall, I, I think you have to say his stock, his marketability certainly goes up off of this. And, you know, not only was it entertaining because Crawford needed to overcome some adversity, but a little vulnerability is a good thing when you're having trouble getting the best opponents to fight you. Uh, do you think this changes the equation in terms of making Crawford versus one of the PBC welterweights more realistic for 2020? I don't know. There are so many factors involved in all of this. I mean, yeah, I mean, as you well know, if, if a fighter doesn't want to fight another fighter or if his promoter doesn't want him to fight that fighter, um, you can just as easily shift the excuse for why you're not doing it from, you know, it can now be, well, you know, Kavalaskis already kind of exposed the fact that he's not as great as everybody says he is. So maybe we don't need to make that fight now um, if they really want to. Um, what I was intrigued about, though, <clears throat> coming out of Bob Arum as well, there was some talk in the immediate aftermath. I didn't realize that Crawford and Sean Porter are very good friends, but apparently they are. But mm -hmm. even so, supposedly, the like the... 
Porter has been kind of like banging the drum and saying, hey, you know what? It's up to the fighters to make the fight. We should make this fight. It doesn't matter that we're friends. You know, we should make that fight. And, and I'm quite curious about that as to whether like those two together can sort of insist on it and help move the needle and make that happen. And, and I was thinking about that. And actually, if that were to happen, that's probably the biggest matchup out there for Bud right now. Manny Pacquiao is not going to fight him. He's just right. not. And I, who could blame him? He has no need to fight him. Um, Errol Spence is still MIA after that car accident. Um, Aram, of course, has been stirring it up by, by insisting that he's heard that Spence was much more badly injured than anybody let on. I don't know, but, but that's still a, a deal that has to be. We have to see what that is. Keith Thurman's on another injury timeout. Um, and, of course, he recently lost to Pacquiao. And it kind of sort of feels as if Danny Garcia's on the Pacquiao part. Right. So that kind of really leaves Porter at the moment. So if those two can use their relationship and and perhaps their in the circumstance relative bargaining power to sort of make that happen that would be great um you i'd favor crawford heavily but god i mean porter showed it again against spence like what a nightmare he is to fight um so it would be another barn burner right i mean absolutely but the thing is again there's just so many factors involved it's not just the promoters as we talked about before it's the broadcasters that are affiliated with the promoters is it big enough to be a pay-per-view is it big enough to be an espn slash fox pay-per-view is it a some kind of simulcast what is it i don't know so there's all those like moving pieces that have to be put together i don't know but it might be one of those scenarios where it is actually incumbent upon the fighters to just put their foot down and go look we can make this happen make this happen so yeah hey i'm i'm all for that if they want to do it put put those feet down we'll take it yeah exactly exactly by the way what does that say about boxes i love the fact that like you know yeah you know what we're best buddies let's beat the shit out of each other (laughs) it's amazing isn't it yeah there you go all right let's move on to the co-main which we thought was going to be the competitive fight uh but actually this one was the blowout uh tiafimo lopez needing just four minutes and 13 seconds to stop richard comey and win his first major bell uh he landed a nice um hook just a few seconds that seemed to like stiffen comey and then right afterwards comey sort of as a result of that leaning into just a perfect right hand went down hard almost did a touch of the trevor burbix but Mm. never really recovered um referee david Fields stepping in after uh, lopez you know landed quite a few unanswered blows um so you had some doubts about tiafimo after his last fight when he went the distance with masayoshi nakatani i do you now think that that fight was an aberration and are those doubts somewhat erased by what you saw on Saturday night? Uh, somewhat erased. I guess I wouldn't say that they're totally erased because hey, we knew Teofimo could punch. Uh, right. He landed a great shot and it was over so quickly that it could never have been like an all questions have been answered type of situation. Right. Um, but it was at least a very nice reminder of the ceiling. You know, we, we didn't see the ceiling at all against Nakatani. This was Lopez reminding us, if we'd forgotten, why we all thought he was the best prospect in the sport a year ago, why we were looking at him as a future pound-for-pounder. It was a great win against a very good opponent. Um, I thought Comey looked good in the first round, and, and I jotted down, Comey is legit. This won't mm-hmm. be easy for Lopez. And then it was easy, uh, or at least he made it look easy. So well, yeah, uh, more crow-eating. <laughs> and that's a, there's a there's a theme today i guess <laughs> raskin admits that he doesn't know shit about boxing uh so but good for teofimo this is exactly what he needed um and yeah i'm inclined to give the nakatani fight an asterisk and say he was overconfident he was newly married he was distracted that was the worst version of teofimo lopez uh against comey at least in the second round we saw the best version um and, and to me Vasily Lomachenko versus Teofimo Lopez just became a super fight. Uh, yeah. Teofimo called Loma out afterwards. Loma said it's coming in April 2020. Uh, I think Lomachenko is the best boxer on the planet, as we've discussed many times. But I could very easily see him losing to this guy. Uh, this is now in my top three fights that I want to see in 2020. Is that the case for you, too? Yeah, 100%. I mean, I think at times we've briefly sort of skirted around the prospect of this matchup in the past. Um uh, but, you know, it was too early uh, in, in Lopez's career in particular. And, and I certainly don't want in any way to start sort of saying on the basis of what he did with Richard Comey, Lopez is in any way a favorite against Vasily Lomachenko, who is not just the best fighter on this planet, but also on the planet from which he comes. Um, <laughs> but Lopez, you know, he did. I think he did remind us that 
yeah, Lomachenko certainly is an otherworldly talent, but but Lopez, you know, you talked about his ceiling, and I and I think he did enough. He reminded us that for a long time we've looked at him and thought that he might also be very special. Um, and I think for me, what makes this matchup intriguing is that obviously. Teofimo Lopez has never faced anyone like Vasily Lomachenko. There is nobody like Vasily right. Lomachenko. But also, I wonder if Lomachenko's really met anyone quite like Teofimo Lopez, um, you know, who, who's also got his unconventional elements. Um, you know, like Lomachenko, Lopez, he fights really nicely and compactly. He's also got good footwork. He shifts very rapidly from, from side to side and is able to launch power punches. He... he He's, he seems to thrive on his somewhat unorthodox moves, and both he and Lamachenko have great power because, partly because they can throw fast, straight punches out of seemingly nowhere. Um, and so, you know, while I, I don't necessarily subscribe to the notion that Lamachenko has perhaps passed his peak a little bit, I do think it's fair to say, as we've discussed in the past, that he might not be quite as otherworldly dominant at 135 as he was at 130, whereas Lopez is a pretty big, strong boy that way, I think. Yep. So, again, I, I don't want to, like, be uh, overexcited on the basis of what we saw. As far as I'm concerned, Lomachenko is still absolutely the number one, and I'm going to make him the favorite in just about any conceivable matchup. Um, but I am also intrigued by this. That power and speed of Lopez is an interesting thing, and that could be an interesting leveler. Um, I, I'd make Lomachenko a big favorite, but Honestly, just the notion of like, just when Loma was saying, yeah, it's coming in April 2020 was enough to give me goosebumps, actually, to <laughs> yeah. be honest with you. That's a, that's a grand matchup, that. Um, in the opening bout, Irish Olympian Mick Carnon finally got his revenge on Vladimir Nikitin, uh, winning a lopsided unanimous decision by scores of 100 to 90, 99 to 91, and 98 to 92. Uh, I think, you know, it's fair to say neither of us necessarily uh, thought of Conlon as an extremely slick fighter, but he proved much too slick. For the, for the straight ahead Nikitin, uh, outboxing him comfortably um, and staying focused, even though he did get a cut on his right eyebrow. Um, you said last week that you view Conlon as a sort of middling prospect, but did he do anything here to raise that stock? And what did you think of his performance? Uh, I give his performance two middle fingers up. Uh, <laughs> hey Very good. Okay. Very good. Um, no, th- this was very good. Um, he's still not an elite prospect, um, but... I can see what some people see in him. He has skills. He's tough. He's smart. He's definitely a charming personality. I never questioned that part. Yes. Um, But yeah, I think his stock goes up a little. Uh, Nikitin was very predictable and one-dimensional, and Conlon had beaten him in the Olympics and just didn't get the decision. So uh, he didn't necessarily prove anything we didn't already know, but... Uh, This was a good showcase for him. Uh, He was the first fight into the ring on ESPN right after the Heisman ceremony. So um, probably got some good viewership there. Now, maybe the casual viewers who stuck around for the whole card had kind of forgotten about him by the end because Lopez and Crawford's wins overshadowed his. Uh, But uh, all in all, certainly a good night for Mick Conlon. Uh, One criticism, he needs to lose the mustache awful yeah. look it, it, yeah. it doesn't come in fully there's that that big gap in the middle you know a, a mustache is a bad look on most guys who can grow a good one so you know <laughs> know your limitations mick right. uh, and and right. the people around him have to look out for him and be real with him i, I worry exactly. that he might be surrounded by yes men if nobody was willing to step up and tell him to shave that thing and it starts with a bad mustache and then before you know it you've got a soul patch and <laughs> oh, it just it yeah. just it just never ends. Yeah, yeah. No, this, absolutely. This is this is one of the top benefits of being married. By the way, is is my wife telling me when my outfit doesn't match or doesn't work or isn't right. appropriate for the situation? You know, I get a little defensive and mad in the moment, but right. in the end, I exit the house not looking like an idiot. Uh, <laughs> top five reason for recommending marriage to most guys, right there. <laughs> there but uh, yeah, no, nobody's uh, telling uh, Mick Conlon what he really needs to hear about that mustache. And also, that's the powerful analysis that you can only get. <laughs> Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. Uh, there was also a somewhat notable fight card on Friday night from Fantasy Springs, one of my favorite venues in Indio, California. Uh, one of the very best prospects in boxing, uh, welterweight Virgil Ortiz Jr., uh, looking very strong, I thought, moving to 15-0 with 15 KOs, putting Brad Solomon down three times, storing a, scoring a stoppage in the fifth round of what was from the very beginning a, a completely one-sided fight. Uh, and also a good comeback win. Uh, for my buddy, former 130-pound titleist Alberto Machado on the undercard, uh, stopping Luis Perazzo with three body shot knockdowns in round two, sort of getting his revenge for being 
knocked out with body shots in his last two fights uh, of a lightweight bout. Uh, anything worth commenting on here, do you think? Yeah, with Machado, exactly what you just hit on, that there was a bit of a fun what goes around comes around with him <laughs> right. winning on body shots in the same ring where he twice lost on right. those body shots. Um, what can you say about Virgil Ortiz? Um, this was not a tough opponent, not a real test, but he looked like a beast, as he always does. Uh, still just 21 years old. I'm really excited to see him mix in with the current guard of top welterweights, uh, whichever of those guys are still in there uh, in a year or so when Golden Boy is ready to match Ortiz against the elite. I'm fascinated by it. I I would guess 2020 is a year of fighting semi-washed guys and fringe contenders, maybe kind of looking down the rankings maybe like the sergey lipinets level or maybe like an amir khan if he can get him um and then 2021 i think is when uh, we're going to see virgil ortiz ready for anyone oh, he looks good doesn't he i mean yeah. he's a really really good uh, prospect yep. um all right let's look ahead to next weekend's fights and uh, right off the top <laughs> let's address the fight we've been talking about with some skepticism and which for all we know may be cancelled before i finish reading this sentence uh daniel <laughs> checking, checking my phone for alerts right now <laughs> daniel jacobs against julio says we're really gonna have crow to eat i am if this goes ahead and it goes <laughs> off as planned i mean that's yeah i think this nothing. this will be more on you than on me oh yeah. totally on me yeah. yeah totally uh so it is allegedly happening uh jacobs against chavez jr friday december 20th in phoenix with the zone streaming uh the co-feature it's a flyweight fight between julio cesar martinez and Cristofa rosales and by no accident gabe rosado is scheduled to fight on the undercard I kind of hesitate to spend much more time actually talking about or deconstructing this fight because I, well, we know how I stand about whether it's going to happen. And it's really anybody's guess whether they go through it with, uh, through that with amid all the threats and lawsuits and whatnot. Um, Let's assume it does happen. Uh, Tell me how you think it plays out. Is Chavez a live underdog here or is he just a good name for Danny Jacobs? I'm going to lean toward the latter. If you yeah. if you expect good things from Chavez, you're yep. bound to be disappointed. Uh, you have to know that by now. Um, I don't know if he can make weight. Uh, this is supposed to be a super middleweight bout. Um, but even if the fight comes off, even if he makes weight, how many times do we have to see him underperform? He hasn't had a meaningful win in five years. Uh, so, no, he's not a live underdog. I think this is easy work for Jacobs. Jacobs just has to maybe be a little bit careful in the early going not to get hit with a big punch, but that's about it. Uh, One note, uh, I understand that Jacobs is planning to honor Patrick Day on his robe, so that's a nice touch. Um, Of course, Patrick Day is kind of a reminder of the very worst aspects of boxing, and do we really need that reminder if Jacobs and Chavez make it into the ring together? (laughs) I I think we already know, just looking at these guys in the ring together, how effed up the sport is. But in any case, a a nice touch there from uh, Daniel Jacobs. Um, Let's shift our focus to a fight card far more worthy of our attention. On Saturday from Ontario, California, televised on Fox, we get the rematch between Tony Harrison and Jermel Charlo to Harrison's disputed upset decision win a year ago. Charlo has fought once since suffering his first official defeat, a vicious third round KO of Jorge Cota in June. Harrison has not fought in the interim. He'll be returning from a 364-day layoff. The trash talk leading up to this has been a delight. Uh, The face-to-face show hosted by our friend Brian Campbell was fire. Uh, Charlo couldn't stop talking even after the show ended, and Harrison seemed almost amused by it. Um, So, Kieran, let me get your breakdown. Uh, Can Harrison perform at least as well or, or maybe even better than last time, you know, with the confidence of winning the first fight? and win this one without controversy? Or is this going to be a little bit like Joshua Ruiz 2, where the class rises in the second fight, and Charlo turns out to have that class and makes the adjustments and gets revenge? Uh, So I think the natural instinct is to certainly support the latter scenario. I mean, you know, Charlo is the more touted guy. He appears to be the more versatile guy. He's the guy whose style is more inherently pleasing on the eye. And... The broad consensus is that he won reasonably convincingly the first first time around. Um, but it would be a mistake, I think, to to underestimate uh, Harrison. He's no mug. He, he's fought some and defeated some very good guys. He, he showed some versatility in that first fight. Um, he, he'd clearly gone in with a game plan. He'd made a decision to look for counters and time the right hand um, and, and to just keep throwing that steady jab. Um, you know, and sometimes stars make fights and. 
you know, thing is, Harrison's a pretty calm boxer in the ring, right? He just doesn't seem to, you know, do very much. That was one of the things that um, Joe Goosen and Lennox Lewis were calling on him during the call of that fight was to start throwing more punches. He, he's just he's very relaxed and calm in there. Charlo isn't like, you know, he, he wears his heart on his sleeve in and out of the ring. You know, the, you mentioned the, 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 the sort of pre-fight hype. That's him. But he keeps that going in a way when he gets in the ring. It's almost like he's so desperate to make a good impression and to score a knockout or something like that. Um, you know, and, and there's an argument that sometimes he's so desperate to do that that he can sometimes leave himself open to somebody who's just going to sit there and, and fire straight shots, which is the kind of thing that Harrison does. So I don't know. My initial inclination was to think, that, yeah, Charlo definitely gets it this time. But, you know, this could just be another close and intriguing contest with two men who have the ability to negate each other somewhat. Um, I mean, I'm curious, you know, because Harlow Harrison isn't a high output guy, I'm curious, is Charlo going to be able to force him to up his pace hmm. uh, at all? I'm also curious about, and this is where you can always go so wrong, you should really obviously just focus on the guy in front of you, but perhaps inevitably you think, well, look, nobody thinks I deserved the win last time. They're definitely not going to give it to me this time if I fight the same way. So am I going to have to do something different? Is Harrison mm. going to think that? Is he going to think, well, this time I'm going to, they were saying I wasn't active enough. Well, maybe I should be more active. And if he does that, will that surprise Charlo or will it take Harrison out of his normal thing? So um, I, I don't know. You, you, you have to figure, right, that if somebody is going to be able to add that extra wrinkle and do that different thing and change things up, it's going to be Charlo. He just feels like he has those extra elements to his game. But I wouldn't be surprised if it's another close one. Um, so two weeks ago, uh, Stephen Breadman Edwards gave us the scoop that J-Rock Williams, if he wins in January, will meet the winner of Harrison Charlo 2, uh, probably in June. So which one would you rather see happen? Would you rather see Williams against Harrison or Williams against Charlo? Uh, I'm pumped for either. Uh, those are both excellent fights, competitive matchups, probably fun clashes of style. But for narrative purposes, it's got to be Williams versus yeah. Charlo. You know, can Jermel do what Jermel did or can J-Rock get a measure of revenge by beating the brother, uh, which would then help set up Jermel J-Rock, too. Uh, it's a, a really tight pack atop the junior middleweight division uh, when you look at all those guys. Um, and don't forget, Eris Landy Lara and Brian Castaño and Jaime Mungia and Erickson Lubin. Feels like over the course of the next 12 months or so, we're going to get a lot of it sorted out. And, yeah. uh, and Harrison Charlo, too, is a big step in that process. Yeah. Um, on that Harrison Charlo 2 undercard, the co-feature is Guillermo Rigando versus Laborio Solis, uh, plus F.A. Ajagba returns to action against Iago Caladze, and Andre Durrell is still at it. He's fighting a 10-rounder <laughs> against Juan Ubaldo Cabrera. Anything interest you there, or is this a wait-till-Sunday-and-fast-forward-liberally kind of undercard? <laughs> So I'm always interested in F.A. Ajagba. Um, you know, he was made to work hard and go the distance the last time out. So I'm keen to see if he's been able to learn anything and add anything from that experience or if, he, and if he'll be able to return to his KO ways. And, um, you know, and let's talk about the whole fool me once thing. Uh, I, I kind of wonder if now finally Guillermo Rigondeau is, is, as he enters the final phase of his career, finally ready to back up his constant pre-fight promises of being exciting. I'll never forget him. Being, sitting down with us uh, yeah. on the HBO Boxing Podcast and, and getting us all fired up about how exciting he was going to be in the ring, and then he wasn't. But no. he did actually look kind of fun last time out uh, when he scored a stoppage against Julio Seja, who just gave Brandon Figueroa hell. So just out of curiosity and a, sen and a constant sense of, you know, always going back for more, um, I, I probably will check out Regan Dow. Okay. All right, uh, two international cards. Eric's making a note. Have Kieran prepare that segment then, because it's going to be right. <laughs> um, two international cards worth noting this coming week. Uh, first on Wednesday from Brisbane, Australia, the rematch between Michael Zarafa and Jeff Horn, and then on Saturday from London with ESPN Plus streaming. Daniel Dubois headlines against Kiyotari Fujimoto. I know you, as do I, see every Dubois fight as worthwhile viewing. Uh, can you tell us anything about that opponent, uh, Fujimoto? And do you have any interest in Zarafa Horn, too? Uh, so Fujimoto is 33 years old from Tokyo. Not a whole lot of impactful Japanese heavyweights over the <laughs> years. And I don't expect Fujimoto to alter that statement. Uh, he's a smallish heavyweight, six foot, about 225 or 230. And really just a club fighter. You would not recognize a single name on his resume. He's 21-1, 13 KOs. 
hasn't lost since his sixth pro fight, but this sure looks like easy work for Dubois, who's 13-0 and with 12 knockouts, only 22 years old, far and away, in my view, the best heavyweight prospect out there right now. As for Zarafa Horn 2, meh, 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 meh. Bunch of grunts. That's about all I can give it. Uh, the the first fight suggested Horn maybe shouldn't be fighting at middleweight, yeah. uh, but he's trying again. Sorry to the uh, hashtag Hornheads out there, but uh, I might skip this one. Uh, don't think I'll interrupt my Wednesday work schedule for it, uh, even if I can find a, a free stream of it somewhere. And uh, speaking of watching fights for free. There's a Showtime Championship boxing card coming up in two weeks, and if you're not a Showtime subscriber, you still have time to start your 30-day free trial. Just go to Showtime.com slash try30, that's T-R-Y-3-0, and enter the code SHOWBOX, that's S-H-O-B-O-X, to start that 30-day trial. But remember, this offer expires December 31st, and the fights are December 28th anyway, so you probably want to start it up soon. So again, go to Showtime.com slash Try30 to take advantage of this special offer. You know what I think about that, Eric? Hmm, what's that? I think that sounds like a real deal. <laughs> huh? <laughs> and, and... It isn't the only real deal we have on this podcast. Uh, yes, we are tremendously honored to be joined right now by Boxing Royalty, the former multiple-time heavyweight champion of the world, International Boxing Hall of Fame inductee, and participant in one of the greatest heavyweight eras in the sport, the one and only Evander, the real deal Holyfield. Champ, what an honor this is, and thank you so much for joining us on the Showtime Boxing Podcast. Well, thank you. Um, so you were, you know, as I mentioned, you know, a key part, arguably the key part, really, of the last great heavyweight era. And, and the last couple of years, it's felt like we're at least getting into a very good era. Um, are you enjoying watching Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury and Anthony Joshua? And, and do you think this has a potential to go down as a great era in heavyweight boxing? Well, I, I think I think it I think it will, because no doubt that. You know, after our era started going down and started losing a lot of fans. And now that this era that that they have now with, you know, with Deontay, and I'm talking about with fighters that may be less skillful, but have brought the excitement back to the game of the boxing. And one difference uh, between this era and, and your era is that in your prime, the extremely tall heavyweights who could fight well were an exception. There, were, there was Lennox Lewis and Riddick Bowe, and most of the rest couldn't really hack it against top top opposition. Now it's kind of the norm. You have six foot nine inch Tyson Fury, six foot seven inch Wilder, six foot six inch Joshua. Those are the top three guys. Is it harder now than ever for a six foot two, 220 pound heavyweight to succeed? Well, not really, not really, because the art of the game is boxing. And, mm. and so it's the people who start at a young age. Um, mm. You know, um, you, you're not going to get a guy that's 6'2 and just come in just natural, going to be there. Now, mm. see, he's going to be a good fighter. He's going to have to start at a young age. You know, I, I started at the age of eight years old. I mm, weighed man. 65 pounds when I was eight years old. And so... <laughs> When you when you're small, you learn the mechanics of boxing because you you're not the strongest person. You're not gonna knock everybody out. So you have to you got to go on points until one day that you grow and become strong enough enough to put the proper points together to knock people out. Mm. And that's a great point about about starting young. Wilder and Joshua in particular are two guys who started a little later in life. Are are you surprised to see them having this much success as guys who picked up boxing later? Well, I'm I'm not surprised because, you know, it's always about, you know, one of the dozen people who's able to do that. And but it's kind of show you what what hope is and what the desire is, because it's obvious that. The people who do do that, they got a strong desire that is just incredible. I'm, you know, if you look at Deontay, I'm like, he do a few things right, but his confidence is so great that he'll fight yeah. anybody. Yeah. And, I, and, and most of the fighters won't do that. Right. So we've talked quite a lot about those three guys, about Wilder, about Fury, about Joshua. Those are the top three. How would you rank them? What order would you rank them at the moment based on what you've seen? 
Well, definitely, I would I would go with Wilder. He been he been the champions longer, mm-hmm. and he had fought everybody who want to fight it. Mm-hmm. I just, you know, I'm the, how many people have fought King Kong? No, don't nobody fight him. He yeah. fought him twice. <laughs> yeah, I'm so so you know so you I would say Wilder. Then I I would I would say you know yeah uh, uh, Tyson Tyson Fury. Mm-hmm. I said, you know, he's another guy that can fight everybody, I think. But you know, but the, the thing is, is that it's kind of hard to say you can, when people do things to themselves, not that somebody else did it to him, he did it to himself. Right. To, and, and, he, and they still consider him a world champion. But you know what? He He's not a world champion because he he gave up the belt. Didn't nobody make him give up the belt. He, I'm some. But now somebody said, well, he did, but, you know, but still he, he hadn't lost, but still he put himself in that position. Mm-hmm. But then when you, when you, when you, of course, when you, now when you come back to, uh, after the Joshua have proved something else that he can, he can, now he lost his first fight and he came back and redeemed himself. Now this is what great about sports itself. The person who can redeem himself, you know, everybody falls short somewhere, but can you redeem yourself? Mm-hmm. Now he he two time heavyweight champion of the world again, and so right. now this show you what happened when you make mistakes, you can redeem yourself. Right. And I wouldn't be who I am if I didn't have to redeem myself a lot of time. I'm only four time heavyweight champion of the world because what I was able to whatever happened, being able to make the adjustment. So people who make adjustments, the one that can succeed. Yeah, I mean, you you certainly did uh, redeem yourself. You you had your wins, you had l- your losses, but you always came back strong. And, and one thing nobody can ever say about Evander Holyfield is that you ever came into a fight undertrained or underprepared. You always showed up in shape. So I'm curious, how upsetting was it for you to see Andy Ruiz show up heavier than ever for his first title defense and talking afterward about how he'll train harder next time. Do you, do you get angry seeing him sort of disrespect the title and the fans that way? Well, I don't get angry, but these are the mistakes that well, I'm even anybody can make because the fact of the matter is that, you know, I'm, you know, it's almost like a day like Buster Douglas beat Tyson and everybody looking and said, well, he going to kill Holyfield. <laughs> and he came overweight. And, and everybody go, oh, my goodness. What did he do? Well, you know, that don't have nothing to do with the person he played. Mm. My, my, my job is to focus on me and do the, be the very best that I could be. And so, you know, but adjustments, but can, can he come back and make adjustments? Well, yeah, he can. Just like anybody. <laughs> the art of life in sports, sports bring people together because, you can, you have another chance to make adjustments. But are you willing to pay that price, though? Right. I'm glad you mentioned Buster Douglas, because obviously uh, uh, the Andy Ruiz situation reminded a lot of people of him. Are, are there some boxers who just aren't mentally equipped to stay hungry once they get to the top? Well, you know, I'm, you know everybody has the capabilities to point out, do they do it, though? Right. I'm saying, you know, it's it pretty much, it's pretty much like with me. I realized that I realized, I realized one of my key things was being in shape and cause, cause the guys were taller. And, but, but my mother took all the excuses away. She said, if you're in the very, you outwork people. Nine times out of 10, you're going to beat them if you can outwork them. Right. And so the whole big thing was being great enough shape to outwork it. Ain't nothing like, like, uh, Vince Dooley said, you know, when people get tired, what happens? <laughs> you make cowards out of people. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> um, you know, let's let's look at uh, briefly at some of the highlights of your career because your your career was basically one big highlight reel. But if you could show just one of your fights to somebody who is brand new to boxing, say who hadn't ever seen you in action, one fight that you think shows what best represents what Evander Holyfield brought to the ring. What would be the fight that you would you would point them to? Yeah, I would say that my first championship fight against the white Muhammad Kwawi. Mm. I'm like I'll tell him, you know, you know, you know, that was my twelfth profession of fight. And he was two time champion and he thinking that he gonna he gonna he gonna beat me. And and I just knew I had to outwork it. And you know, I you know I had longer arms, I had quicker hands, but whatever I do to him, he'll do it back to me. 
And, you know, and the whole big thing was to outlast him. If I outlast him, I beat him. And I outlast him, and I got the decision. Yeah, that was a, that's a somewhat forgotten classic. That was an unbelievable fight, one of the very best Cruiserweight title fights ever. Kawi was a good champion. Yeah. <laughs> um, so continuing to, to look back on your career uh, after you moved up to heavyweight you were in two of the craziest boxing incidents ever Fan Man and The Bite which was weirder? Like, like when you look back is there one or the other that you sometimes catch yourself thinking man I, I can't believe that actually happened well yeah, when you're the one with the Fan Man thing I think that was that was the one that was, was like was grueling because the fact of the, the fact of the matter is that you know Bo was you know, Bo was four years younger than me, and and I and I had, I had him tied and it was and and looked like he getting ready to, he getting ready to give up, mm-hmm. and then here's this man fan man coming <laughs> here, and 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 we have to wait. 27 minutes before the fight we get started. Now all of a sudden I got I, I got to go do the same thing with this big red bow again. Now he's a big guy, bigger, and it, and it, and, and can, he can fight in and out. Now he's one of the best big guys boxer that 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 fought. Now I, I fought a lot of them, but he was the best that I ever fought. Yeah, and I, I'm I'm curious. A, a, a follow up question on the bite fight uh, is just um, I know you know you and you and Mike are, are cool these days and, and get along. And I'm wondering, like, when you see him, does he still apologize for that, or is it kind of like you both understand it happened a long time ago and 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 it's cool now? No, I I understand it, and, mm-hmm. but you know the point of the matter, I do understand why why people bite. Now, and people always ask me, how did you handle that so well? Uh, it's because you got to understand I was the youngest of the family. Now, I used to bite all the time. I said, <laughs> now, I wouldn't bite because I was I was mad with my brother. I'd bite because I couldn't get loose. So I would bite, <laughs> I said, I would bite the daylight. When they turned turn me loose, and I, had to, I said, I had to get to my mama before they catch me. I said, couldn't nobody hit me in front of my mama. <laughs> but I would bite the daylights out of them because they, they had me in a position I couldn't do anything. Right, right. <laughs> um, your son, Evan, he's now 2-0 and as a pro with two KOs. What's it like now to be the father of a professional boxer? Where everything that happens in the ring, you have no control over at all. Are, are you more nervous when he fights than you ever were when you were fighting? Uh, of course. You know, the thing is, because you, you don't know how hard they work and you know, cause you're, you're not there. And saying one, you know, one great thing that I, my mother even told me, she said, son, you know how people are when they buy themselves cause when they buy themselves, they do what they want to do. Mm. So, so, and I was that kid that when I was by myself, I was always, always doing something that going make, make boxing good for me, not make it worse. Mm. I, you know, when, when, you know, I was going to be a, a lot better shape than my opponent and all this. They do this. I, everything that people did wrong, I would kind of check it out and say, I don't do that. That's the reason I could beat it. And all these things I find it funny. But I found that they doing these things to themselves, and I don't do those things. Oh, <laughs> I can win. It, it made it right. greater for me. Right. And you have another son, Elijah, uh, who's also a professional athlete. He's a, he's a running back on the practice squad for the Carolina Panthers. Is it easier on a dad to watch a son play football than to watch a son box? Uh, you know, both. You know, one of them is a team sport, one of them is individual, and and so you have to be, you know, it, you know, you have to be well disciplined to know that you know they only gonna get a ball to you when. It's what up. It's up to the coach to when you do things and all that. So, mm-hmm. but when you, when you, when you, you know, I chose, I chose uh, boxing over football because you know my name was Holyfield then, but then nobody know me. So, mm-hmm. and so I didn't know if I was gonna ever get a chance because you have to hope that somebody get hurt. This got to happen to this person for your right. chance to come. So, 
my mama says, then who you want to bet on the coach or you want to bet on yourself? Mm. See, if you want to bet on yourself, then you box. Because mm. as an individual, it's up to you to be in great enough shape to whatever the situation comes, you're the last one to make the decision on it. Right, right. So, right. you know, so it comes to football, and I realized that my son had a good name, and and his chance of getting a, a first shot was going to be great. And so he he chose football. Mm. Um, I'd love to get your quick thoughts. We've got a couple of uh, uh, fighters coming up on Showtime in the coming weeks, and I'd love to get your thoughts on some of these fighters. Um, first of all, coming up in, in just a couple of weeks, in your hometown of Atlanta, uh, Javante Davis is going to be fighting on Showtime. Uh, what are your thoughts about Javante as a fighter? Oh, he's a very good fighter. Very mm. good. Mm. And like that, man, you know, but his life is about who you're fighting, though. I'm talking, right. Even though you're a good fighter, now what is the competition? Right, right. Um, I mean, how do you think he's going to do sort of at that weight class? You know, he's, he's big for 130. He's probably going to move up a little bit. I mean, and do you think there are options for him to get some good opponents? Well, you know, boxing is it's the little guys that really know how to fight the best, mm. and so even even coming up. Penel Whitaker was my guy that I watched. And he very skillful, very confident. Everything was just fine-tuning all the time. And like that. So it's the little guys that know how to box. They're the one that have the great jab, the combination, uh, the defense, because you know what they don't want they don't have all the power all the time, but you know, they make you pay. They right. make you pay and and they have to have that that attitude. They have to have this attitude called people pick on more smaller people than big people. So <laughs> they they always they already ready. <laughs> right. Um, someone else you've got coming up a couple of weeks after that. Uh, you talk about who you know guys might fight. He's being talked about as a possible opponent for Manny Pacquiao, and that's Danny Garcia. Um, you know, have you had much chance to 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 see much of him? And what are your thoughts on him as a fighter? Danny Garcia, I'm, you know, the thing is, is that, you know, Pacquiao's, he's older. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I, 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 I guess everybody have their time, but your, your time. But I think Pacquiao's been there a long time. And eventually, if, if you don't know how to, to move out, somebody's going to move you out. And, right. and it happened to the best of us. And so yeah. at some point in time, the reflex and things going to change in and everybody had to, you know, everybody had, they, they, they got to go. <laughs> and, you know, I, I think that I have done a lot of great things in the game of boxing and all this, but he got to find out mm. when the right time to, to leave it alone. And, and finally, I also want to ask you one person who's not at all at the end of, of her prime is still really young. Um, Calls herself the greatest woman of all time, Claressa Shields. Uh, what do you What are your thoughts about Claressa? Well, I'm telling she, she is very good, and and the thing is, you know, you know, when you don't see people perform a lot, you it's hard to say if they're improving and all that. Mm-hmm. You, you, you could be good, but if you're not fighting, then you're not getting better. Right. So to the hope, the, so the art of the game is, when you're fighting, then you don't have to say nothing. You don't have to tell nobody that you're good. The people know that you're hmm. good. I think I think that she got to put herself in a position where that she fight a little bit more, where that she don't have to tell nobody. Everybody know that she's good because they see her fight. Right. Hmm. Right. Yeah. Well, last question for you, Evander, and this ties into what you were just saying a moment ago about how uh, when you start to get older, uh, you know, somebody's going to move you out. Uh, You were saying, uh, I know you retired from boxing somewhat reluctantly. You still had the dream of regaining the heavyweight title, but the opportunity wasn't coming. And and finally, you you did stop fighting. Do you still miss it? Do Do you still get the itch? Or are you totally at peace now with the idea of being a former fighter and not an active fighter? Uh, I'm totally at peace uh, because the fact of the matter is if, if I had told myself if that's anybody that I have to duck, I'd rather not fight. Yeah. And so, uh, like I had told people when I fought 
when I yeah. when I spoke with Andy Ruiz, yeah. I I knew then it was time for me to go because I knew that I'm about to duck this guy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna fight this guy because she was so aggressive, and 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 and, and the energy on his side. He was young, right? So it, it's it's coming time that everybody has to admit to themselves that if I'm not gonna fight the very best people, and you know, because I'm not a punching bag either, because I don't like getting hit. <laughs> it's amazing that all about the whole game of boxing. I got don't like getting hit. I did not like getting hit. <laughs> and so, 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 so you know when it's time to go. Start right. getting hit too much. <laughs> yep. Oh man, Amanda, this has been great. This has really, it's been good to get like a couple of stories from you there and some insight. It's been a real pleasure for us. Um, really grateful. Thank you so much for joining us on the Showtime Boxing Podcast. Uh, thank you. Thanks, Amanda. Right, bye bye. All right. Thanks again to Evander. That was uh, really fun. Great to have him on the podcast. Uh, Let's wrap up with some news items and uh, we could go rapid fire on these. I think nothing here I'd consider major except this first one. It is major important news, but there's not a whole lot to say about it. Uh, Former heavyweight champ Leon Spinks has been hospitalized in Las Vegas. He's reportedly in intensive care due to complications for prostate cancer has has been in bad shape for a few months, apparently. But uh, as of the last report from his family, there were, quote, small signs of improvement. So that's good. Uh, but prior to that, his ex-wife posted a statement on Facebook asking for prayers. Leon is 66 years old. We, of course, hope he pulls through. Anything to add, Kieran? No, other than to just reiterate our very best wishes. I mean, my understanding is poor Leon's had a rough go of it on and off for a number of years hasn't mm-hmm. he so yeah. um absolutely you know as you said i hope he's he's able to pull through and go from some strength to strength here um uh yeah some other news here has a couple of bullet items for you uh so <clears throat> as he prepares for his rematch with deontay wilder tyson fury has parted ways with trainer ben davison davison tweeted that quote tyson and myself had to both make decisions for our careers which resulted in our working relationship coming to an end however we remain friends, and he will smash the Dosser, with both smash and Dosser being capitalized for effect. Um, <clears throat> intriguingly, Fury posted a pic of himself at Kronk back in the day um, with Sugar Hill Stewart and Andy Lee, saying he's getting the old band back together. So uh, I, I don't know if he's telling us there that that's his new corner team, and if so, maybe we can get some insight from our buddy Andy and, mm. uh, and have a chat with him about that. Um, a few new fights announced. Uh, one very immediate uh, on Showtime. Jose Uskategui. That's how I always get that wrong. That is right, right? Yeah, Something I've like heard that. like Uskategui, Uskategui. I don't know. Is yeah, whatever. Jose. Yeah, Jose, exactly. Uh, meets Lionel Thompson in the opening bout on the December 28th card, headlined by Javante Davis against Yuriorkis Gamboa. Uh, also on Showtime, on the Claressa Shields Ivana Habazin card on January 10th, super middleweight titleist Alicia, the Empress Napoleon Espinosa, will face undefeated Ellen Sederos in a 10 round unification. And uh, on January 30th in Miami, leading up to the Super Bowl, an excellent fight. Uh, signed as the co-feature to Demetrius Andrade's next bout. Uh, it's Tevin Farmer against Jojo Diaz at 130 pounds. Uh, like that. Any thoughts on that fight or indeed any of the other news that I just threw at you? Yeah, Farmer Diaz. I, I, I love it. Great matchup. Uh, helps uh, make up for the fact that on that same card, I've never heard of Andrade's opponent. Um, but Farmer Diaz is a really even fight on paper quality skills on both sides, but shouldn't be a pure chess match. I think it figures to provide good action too. Um, And, you know, good to have Farmer there representing Philly two days before the Eagles win their second Super Bowl in three years. (laughs) You're laughing? Why are you laughing? Oh, no reason at all. (laughs) No reason at all. (laughs) Uh, One last news item here. Devin Haney just had surgery on his right shoulder which he injured in his fight on the Logan Paul KSI card. So he is expected to be out for several months, and he's been named a champion in recess so that the alphabet group can be sure to tax someone for sanctioning fees while he's out. Uh, Kieran, is this all just one more reason to wish Logan Paul versus KSI never happened? Ugh, in a word, yes. I mean, it's just funny, <laughs> just even hearing you still say the words Logan Paul KSI card, I'm just like, that just feels feels wrong. Even though, as we all know, 
Boxing won. <clears throat> you must never forget that. Yeah. Um, but seriously, what a bummer for Haney. I mean, he must have been looking at that event as a real opportunity to break out and to make all kinds of fans that he wouldn't otherwise have done. But his his outing was a bit more disappointing than than he would have liked. And and now after all of that, he's back on the shelf still. But he will be back. He's a terrific, terrific young fighter, Devin Haney. Yep. All righty. That will do it for this week's edition of the equally terrific Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. Uh, we will be back next week to look at Harrison Charlo 2 and shrug emoji for whatever happens in phoenix possibly jacobs <laughs> chavez we'll see uh and we will preview the december 28th live showtime boxing card headlined by javante davis against yuri orcus gamboa and a reminder if you want to watch that triple header live and you don't yet have showtime remember you can start a 30-day free trial just go to showtime.com slash try 30 and enter the code SHOWBOX. Uh, and also on next week's podcast, we will be joined, as we so frequently are these days, by a special guest. So, lots to look forward to on next week's pod. Until then, thanks for listening.